Lord God, we thank you that you are present with us now and always and that you speak to us through your word. We pray that your word would speak, that you would show us that you are with us always and that we would be reminded of that truth as we lean deeper into it and change to become more like you when we leave than when we came. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading is James chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our two oldest boys, uh, Jake and Evan, they're both in middle school this year. And what that means is that we have a lot of middle school math going on in our house. And I, I'm so grateful that some of you are smiling because I'm hoping that that means you're in the same boat as I am. This means they're bringing middle school math questions home uh, to their dad who has not done middle school math for a very long time. And I don't know exactly the moment that I'm going to become absolutely useless to my kids when it comes to helping them out with their math. But when they started to bring home equations that involved complex fractions, I knew that the time is coming near. <laughs> and I'd like to tell you it's because they teach math differently today than they did before, right? But in reality, I don't remember the last time I did math without a calculator, so I don't think that that's really what it is. But I do remember some helpful things about fractions. One of them I remember is that that if you can find the common denominator, you can answer almost any problem. The common denominator, if you can break down two completely different fractions into a common denominator, you can get to the answer. And I start there and remember back in our series on conflict. Remember, we did a series on conflict before James, and I shared then that we were going to do that um, later on in the year, maybe even early next year, but we felt like it couldn't wait. Because our world is so conflicted. We're so conflicted. We are in a divided world, living in divided times. We're all fractions. And it feels like the world is one big middle school math problem. And just like middle school math, I'll be the first to admit that I don't know the solution to all the problems that divide us. But today, 
what James is going to teach us is that there is a common denominator at the root of every problem that we face. That if you reduce every fraction that divides people, whether it's in our families or in our politics or in our religion or in road rage on your way to and from church, what you will find is that the bottom number is always the same. And if the bottom number is always the same, if we can break it down to that common denominator, then maybe, just like math, maybe we can find ourselves on the way to the solution. Or if nothing else, we can see that we are actually not unlike the people that we are divided among. And that leads us into the reading that I just read a minute ago. Today's our fifth week in our series going through this short book, this letter by James, the brother of Jesus. He's a a teacher and a leader in the church in Jerusalem, and he lives in the middle of political and religious upheaval. And I share that so that you know that if anybody knows conflict It is James. He's in Jerusalem, which is the epicenter of conflict between Christians and Jews and the Roman Empire. And even today, it is a place of continual unrest and conflict. And it's from that particular place that James writes these words. Again, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Now, Two things that I want us to notice. First of all, James just assumes that everybody reading these words then and now is experiencing fights and quarrels among them. He does not speak to only the immature people who are in fights and quarrels as if we get to a place in our life where we are mature enough that we're no longer fighting with anyone. Is anybody here of that place? I hope not. If you are, I will call your relatives and friends and I'll ask them how true it is and we'll probably get to the bottom of what's really going on. This is not just applying to certain people. This applies to everyone. And so James assumes that every relationship on this side of eternity is ultimately a fraction. And the dividing line of that fraction is always the same. It's sin. And the common denominator of every fraction is this word right here. Say it with me. Desire. It's this word desire. You might remember back in chapter 1 we talked about temptation. And we talked about temptation as being an inside job. I shared uh, the, the old uh, Halloween movies, right, uh, that you would watch and they'd be in this house and it would be storming outside, right, and the power would go out and the old rotary dial phone, right, would start ringing and they'd pick it up and there'd be this scary voice on the other line and it's inside the house, right? Like that was every Halloween movie. And we learned that temptation is the same way. It doesn't come from God. It comes from within us ourselves and the same is being taught to us here too this word desire in the greek is the same word that we get the concept of hedonism from it's a greek word and it finds itself in ancient greek philosophy it literally means pleasure and the philosophy of hedonism is this idea that ultimately life is about finding and maximizing our pleasure at all costs as much as possible. That every action and every reaction of all of life should be serving our ability to find as much pleasure 
as possible. Hedonism takes this concept of YOLO, you've heard this before, you only live once, to an ultimate extreme because the hedonists didn't believe in the afterlife. And so to maximize pleasure on this side of eternity is all there is in life. And so that's, that's what this word gets us to, that, that every second of every day should be about maximizing your pleasure in the moment. That's the concept of hedonism. Now, now I want you just to think for a second, what, what might be some of the problems that come from living that life and that way of life all of the time? The chief problem is other people because you're not the only one who has desires. That, that, that common denominator is true in all of us. And so I walk around with my desires and you're walking around with your desires and suddenly our desires butt up against each other and we can't meet both of them and so we fight, right? And so, so hopefully what this will show us is that we all have desires, and we're all watching out for ourselves. Another word that might be used here would be selfishness. Selfishness. It's the core of selfishness. And, and, and sometimes it's obvious as I describe this philosophy, but sometimes it's not so obvious. Let me give you an example. Have you ever apologized to someone, and you weren't really sorry? You just wanted to get through it so that you could find some peace? Has anybody here ever done that before? You ever said you're sorry just because you wanted to get through it? That's hedonism because it's really all about you. It's about your peace. It's about your desire. Maybe how about this? This one comes close to my heart and my own sin. How about the, the, the last piece of pizza? You're having pizza. You're watching some football game at 8.30 in the morning, whatever that might be. And there's only one piece of pizza left. And... You're still eating the pizza on your plate, but you already know I don't need it, but I want that piece of pizza. And so what do you do? You get up and you take that last piece of pizza and all the pizza's gone. And as soon as you take the last piece, what happens? Somebody says, hey, I wanted that piece. Now, kids say that. Adults don't say it, but we all think it, right? We're all looking around. We're kids at heart. We do the same thing. Same Thing. This is what James is referring to when he's talking about desire. Verse 2, he says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. We all have desires, and we all want those inner desires to be met. And this is why concepts like hedonism exist in the first place, because since the very beginning of time, humanity has been trying to somehow reconcile this reality that we all have these desires inside of us, this phenomenon that we all know exists within us. Now, in verse 2 here, that word desire is not the same word in the Greek. This is not a noun. This is a verb. And it could also be translated as to lust after. And, and this, is, this is what we do, right? Lust is pure selfishness. Lust is going after our desire at all costs. It's, it's not caring about whatever person, place, thing, or idea gets in the way. I just need to have what I want. And this is why lust will kill anyone between them and their pleasures or their peace. Now, what's the problem with killing someone to get what you want. I mean, the obvious problem is murder, right? And we can see very real examples of this, right? Just look at Russia and Ukraine. 
Look at the story of Jeffrey Dahmer. I mean, you can look at the injustices in the world and see throughout human history how this hurts us. But, but the other problem is that sometimes it's not that easy, right? Like, like, you can't kill your older brother for eating the last piece of pizza. First of all, that would be a gross over-exaggeration <laughs> of the problem. But, but second of all, maybe your brother already ate the pizza. And so the damage is already done, and you are left with this carnal desire to eat more pizza, and there's no more pizza to eat to satisfy that desire. You covet what you cannot have, and so what does James say, say that you do? You quarrel and you fight. A quick field trip, if, if you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul is in a city known as Athens. You've probably heard of it before. He's waiting for his friends T T uh, Timothy and Silas, and he's at this place that is the epicenter of Greek philosophy and world religions. And, and they would literally gather here every day to debate the merits of different philosophies and religions and ideas. And Paul is attracted to this particular place. And in verse 18, it says this. It says, there was a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. And they began to debate with Paul, and some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Now, Epicureans believed in hedonism. That's, that was their thing at this point in history, indulging in your desires. Anybody know what Stoics are known for? Right, you ever tell somebody they look stoic, right? It's like emotionless. They're the opposite. They believed that the greatest way to live life was through discipline and suppressing your desires. It was the absolute opposite. And so you can see how these two different people would be fighting with each other. It's like, it's like my, my own personal weakness. I brought it up here with me. I already brought up pizza, Hershey chocolate bar. I had somebody at the last service tell me, Kathy is her name. She said that her dad used to tell her that, oh, what did she say? I'm going to mess it up. Um, she, she said, um, it tastes a lot better if you take it out of the wrapper. <laughs> it, it keeps better if you leave it in. And, and the difference between hedonism and, and the Stoics is, is very simple, right? Like, I have this chocolate bar. There is a desire inside of me to eat the whole thing. <laughs> and if I eat the whole thing, I will not be happy, <laughs> because I know that I'm not supposed to eat the whole thing. But if I don't eat any of it, because I'm stoic, I'm not going to be happy either. And so you've got these two different perspectives, and these people are arguing their perspective. And then in comes Paul, and they call him a babbler. Now, in the Greek, that word literally means a seed picker, because what it suggests is that what Paul has been doing is he sounds like the thing that he's sharing with them is grabbing ideas from all these different philosophies and then ideas that are unique to his own and he seems to be sharing all of this in a radically different way of thinking that's almost like this third way, the way of Jesus. He's sharing this gospel that suggests that in Jesus, maybe you don't have to suppress your desires but maybe there's also another way to have them met, to experience the fullness of life without lusting after it at the expense of other people. And there is. And back to James, James teaches us the way in which to do that. It's very simple. He says this, ask God. 
You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Again, same Greek word for pleasure, hedonism. He says that we either don't ask God to satisfy our deepest desires, or when we do ask, we're asking with the wrong motives, which suggests that we're treating God like a genie in the bottle, which is really not treating God as God at all. Now, all of this makes a little less sense if you haven't been with us since the beginning, right? We, we've said what James has said all along, and he said it in chapter 1, and then he alludes to it in every chapter, perseverance and suffering. Remember that, chapter 1? That we should experience joy in the midst of suffering, right? That theme seems to show up in every chapter. And, and sometimes it's, it's this reality that we learn that God... doesn't take away our challenges in the moment because there is a gift on the other side of walking through them. There's endurance, there's lessons, there's blessings. And when we preach that sermon, all the Stoics in the room, all the fire and brimstone Christians in the room, they all get really excited and they say, yes, resist pleasure. I knew that was the gospel. No pain, no gain. It's all about hurts. It's like Peter who told Jesus that he can't be killed. If Jesus wasn't killed, he wouldn't have died for the sins of the world. And if he didn't die for the sins of the world, he wouldn't have conquered death in the grave for us. And it taught us and it teaches us over and over again that sometimes what we desire or what we need is not ultimately what we want. So James says that God in his grace doesn't always give us what we want, our desires, because sometimes there's a greater gift beyond our desires in the moment. God knows better than we do. How many of us have experienced that truth at some point in your life? Show of hands. Feels like a good place to end the message. We've all been reinforced in what we already know. But James is not finished yet. In verse 4, he says, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anybody who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. It's not just love for the world. That's the way this is often preached. It's not just the love for material possessions. This word adulterous is specifically referring to a spouse that has gone outside the marriage to have their deepest physical desires met in someone else. In Revelation chapter 21, we see a glimpse of what heaven looks like, and we see this relationship that we as the church have to Jesus as the bridegroom. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Heaven is a wedding day. Heaven is a wedding day. Jesus is the groom. The church is the bride of Christ. And I know that that can be a really difficult thing to grasp, a difficult way to grasp our relationship with God, and yet God's word uses it as one of the best ways to describe the level of intimacy that God desires to have with you and with me, a relationship that's marked by faithfulness and love and joy. And when I say that it's marked with joy, I can hear all the hedonists, all the Epicureans saying in the room, I knew the Stoics were wrong. I knew we were made to experience joy. I knew that that's what life was about. I knew that we were made to have our deepest desires fulfilled. And it's true. 
But where are those desires to be met? Well, in the same place that the desires that are inside a spouse are to be met, and that is in the one that they're married to. In the church, in the case of Jesus in the church, it's going to him. Not other people or things or ideas or Greek philosophies. But remember, we have a perfect God who perfectly loves us and is inviting us into the abundant life that he has for you and me. Verse 5. Do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us? God is jealous for you. God is jealous to meet your deepest desires, even the ones you don't know you have. And so when God sees our feeble efforts to have those things met in other places, he feels jealous. He's watching you and me and saying, I know what he needs. I know what she needs. Let me meet their needs. Verse 6, and when you don't and you go other places and you're feeling ashamed, it says this, he gives us more, say it with me, grace. He gives us more grace. That's why scripture says God opposed the proud but shows favor to the humble. That verse is actually Proverbs 3.34 in the Old Testament. And it reminds us, like, in a marriage, anything that will kill a marriage, if there's anything that will kill it, it's pride, right? If there's anything. But but it's not just confined to this idea of marriage. Peter refers to the same proverb in 1 Peter 5. He says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Say those last four words with me. He cares for you. He cares for you. This is not just about adultery. This is not just romantic Love. This is about our relationship with our creator God, with a good father, with a perfect spouse who is always ready to meet every single one of our needs, which is why we should say yes when James says to us, submit yourselves then to God, come near then, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. If anybody has ever experienced the tragedy of infidelity, you know that if there is any hope You've got to walk through these steps. You've got to grieve and mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. It's inevitable because what you're doing is you're letting go of that thing, that relationship that you have on the side. You're grieving the loss of what you thought would make you happy. You're feeling the weight of the hurts from that decision. You're making the, 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 the mistake that you've made. And verse 10 says that in our relationship with God, when you humble yourself before the Lord, say it with me, He will lift 
you up. He lifts you up. Why? Because God is not like any husband or wife that you've ever been married to or ever will be married to. God is not like the worst boyfriend or the best girlfriend. Because God's deepest desires are not driven by hedonism or the Stoics' philosophy, but he is driven by one thing and one thing only, agape love. Selfless love. And I was struck by this truth this week in my kitchen. Our our one-year-old, Grayson, there's a picture of him. Really cute. First service, somebody said, he has your hair, Tom. (laughs) He has more hair than I have (laughs) at this point. If you can't see from the pictures, you'll see he takes these apples that he finds and he eats like three little bites and leaves them. If you know what happens to an apple is 12 hours later, they're rotten, right? And he just looks at you like he's so cute and innocent. And what did I do, Dad? And so this week, it wasn't apples I I I heard him, and I knew immediately by the sound what he was doing. I was on the other side of the kitchen. He was in the the part of the kitchen that I couldn't see. He was behind the counter. Somehow he had gotten a hold of his milk bottle, and he was shaking it upside down, (laughs) sloshing it all over the floor. (laughs) And I walked in, and I found him, and little hedonist that he is... (laughs) He's just loving the desires inside of him. They're being fulfilled right now, right? He's shaking it all over the floor until he sees me because he hears my voice. I said, Grayson, no. And he stopped. And you know what happens to little kids at 13 months old, right? They go through all the same emotions we do, but they do it all very quickly. And so he's got the shame face, and I take the bottle away, and then he's upset and mad. He goes through all this stuff, and I go to the kitchen sink, and and I get a piece of paper towel wet so that I can clean up the mess, and I put the bottle on the counter where he can't get it, and I got down on my knees, and by the time I got down on my knees, he'd been through all those other emotions, and as I was cleaning, Cleaning up his mess. Do you know what he did? He ran right into my arms. And I could feel that he got more pleasure by falling into the arms of his father than he would ever get from shaking that bottle all over the floor. And here I am still cleaning up his mess. And I picked him up and I got up and I went to Alyssa and I said, Alyssa, I just met God in the kitchen. Because God does the same thing. Why do I fight against that? I need to be more like Grayson. We're making messes all the time. What's the common denominator? It's desire. We have it inside of all of us. And we all reach for other places to find it, right? You know what? God is ready. Humble yourself. Fall into his arms. He will meet your needs. And the bonus is that when you find your greatest needs met in him, we don't have to fight with other people anymore. And so would you join me now as we pray that that might be more true for us today. Lord Jesus, we thank and praise you that the story of the gospel, this crazy babbler story that Paul was telling in Acts was this This crazy idea that there is a God who created everything and sent his son to come down and clean up our mess. 
Not because he had to, but because he wanted to. Jesus, you came down, and as you are wiping it up, you invite us as a God who loves us, who will not stop at anything to welcome us back into your arms. We thank and praise you that this is what you have done for us. And our prayer is, God, that we would receive that truth for what it is, good news, that we would humble ourselves before you, that you might lift us up, that we would be reminded that you came to us not to rub our mistakes in our noses, but so that you would be near, that we might be able to run to you and find that everything we need and anything we could ever want is in your arms and has been in your arms all along. It matters not just for us, but it matters in the way in which we interact with the world because it reminds us that as we interact with the world around us, that when we get our needs met in you, we don't have to lust after them at the expense of other people. And we can recognize that the common denominator is always the same in all of us, and all of us need you. Help that to begin in us as we find our needs met in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.